Beyond Our Focus. I'm Stefan, this is Amanda, and this is Let's Palaver about Wizard and Glass, the fourth novel in the Stephen King saga, 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 saga The Dark Tower. So we are on part two, chapter four. Not a very long chapter. Long like, after moonset. Like, like, like 20, yeah, 21 pages or something. It's not that long. It's not too much. A lot of these are tiny. Yeah. So. What is our next Which one? also means not a whole lot happens. To no, this one is a very mundane chapter. Our next one might be a bit longer. I didn't think it was that much longer, but. Did I pass it then? Chapter? No, that's that long. It seems longer. Yeah. Uh, How long is that? One seventy-nine to two ten. Two ten. Yeah, 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 that's going to be 41 pages. Something might actually happen. A lot, this, yeah, next week's going to be a long episode. It's not going to be... This one. i got to make sure to read before this. Yep. The day before, probably. Probably best. Yeah. Don't think I can manage Slut it out of 30 minute and then whenever I get on. Yeah. So, next one will be a little longer, but this one... Not a whole lot happens. Really, no. really not a whole lot happens here. Like, it, we could literally make this a 10 minute episode and just summarize it. We could summarize it, but that's not what we do here! <laughs> no, we just read awkward stories about people. Because that seems do. to be the beginning of this book, okay? Is it? The beginning of this part, I should say. Just say a bunch of awkward interactions with human beings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll meet Cordelia. Do we have to? We already did. Do we have to? And if they're reading along, they have to. But we're, we're going to get to at least talk about her. The wonderful lady that Can is Cordelia. Just, if we skip this, does she still exist? We wish not. <laughs> but I feel like she plays an integral part of the rest of the book. Yeah, I guess. Slightly. Slightly. Sure? Anyway. Yes, anyways. So... He rode restlessly for nearly two hours back and forth along what she called the drop, never pushing Rusher above a trot, although what he wanted to do was gallop the big gelding under the gelding, gelding. That's a big of horse. Under the stars until his own blood began to cool a little. It'll cool plenty if you draw attention to yourself, he thought, and likely you won't even have to cool it yourself. Fools are the only folk on the earth who can absolutely count on getting what they deserve. Uh, the old saying made him think of the scared and bow-legged man who had been his life's greatest teacher. Definitely not scared. Definitely not scared. What? Scarred. Scarred? 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 Sure, let's go. Or is not scared. <laughs> uh, the old saying made him think of the scarred and bow-legged. <laughs> yep, that makes more sense. <laughs> makes much more sense. Because if you think about who had been his life's greatest teacher, we know it's Court, and you can't, if you were to tell Court he's scared, you'd... Hey, not a scared man. Not a scared man at all. So, so Roland, Roland here feels a little, a little hot. A little hot. This is immediately after the, the, the kiss from yes. Susan. So he's kind of just wanting to run the entire place, and he realizes if he does that... I mean, he could have done what she does. Oh, oh God. Anyways... Uh, because 
if you remember from last week, they said that he's not actually supposed to announce that he's in town till tomorrow. So he's trying to make sure that nobody sees him and he happens to run into Susan. So Susan's like, hey, I didn't see you, you didn't see me. And he's okay with that. So really, right. If we he... meet tomorrow or whatever it is, yes. let it be for the first time. Yes. So he's pretty much like, I have that young, like, I just got kissed, I want to go run. And he's like, I can't draw attention to myself. Cause... No. Yes, so his, uh, okay. his rider ducked his own head as he passed through the willow fronds, and suddenly there was a narrow and inhuman white face hanging before him, its upper half all but swallowed by black, pupilless eyes. He dipped for his guns. The third time tonight he'd done that, and for the third time there was nothing there. Not that it mattered. Already he recognized what was hanging before him on a string, that idiotic rook's skull. The young man, who was currently calling himself Arthur Heath, had taken it off his saddle and amused him to call the skull, so perched there lookout, so perched there lookout, ugly as an old gamer, gammer, but perfect cheap to feed, and hung it here as a prank reading. Him and his jokes. Rusher's master batted it aside hard enough to break the string and send the skull flying into the dark. Fie, Roland, said a voice from the shadows. It was reproachful, wow, reproachful, but there was laughter bubbling just beneath it, as there always was. Mm -hmm. Cuthbert was his oldest friend. The marks of their first teeth had been embedded on many of the same toys, but Roland had in some ways never understood him. Nor was it just his laughter. On the long-ago day when Hax the palace cook was to be hung for a traitor on Gallows Hill, Cuthbert had been in agony of terror and remorse. He told Roland he couldn't stay watch, but in the end he had done both, because neither the stupid jokes nor the easy surface emotions were the truth of Cuthbert all good. Good old Cuthbert. Good old Cuthbert. So, if you didn't know it before, because I think I think we ruined the surprise for you last chapter, uh, Will Dearborn is Roland, and Arthur Heath is Cuthbert. There's no way anyone knew that. We, we, should... we could have easily read the last chapter not saying Roland's name at all, but we did. Okay, we did. It cannot be that big of a secret. Roland is telling a story about two random strangers. Yes. Now, it is imp super impressive him telling Susan's side of the story. <laughs> yes, yes it is, actually. <laughs> but... Not quite sure how he's accomplished telling her side of the story. And Rhea's side of the story, and Jonas's side of the story, and... Well, like many a good movie and many a good tale, it suddenly goes into a flashback, and suddenly the cameras and stuff take over, and the director is, and yeah. you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, you know, just picture it in your head. You have to. Fie, Cuthbert repeated, as if he'd liked the sound of the word. Not archaic, only in forgotten backwards backwaters like mages. That's a fine way to treat the guard or the watch, smacking the poor thin-faced fellow halfway to the nearest mountain range. If I'd been wearing a gun, I'd likely have blown it to smithereens and woken half the countryside. I knew you wouldn't be going about strapped, Cuthbert answered mildly. You're, remar you're remarkably ill-looking, Roland, son of Stephen, but nobody's fool, even as you approach the ancient age of 15. 
Oof. Oof. I thought we agreed we'd use the names you were traveling under, even among ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't be calling him Roland God. Cuthbert stuck out his leg, bare heel planted in the turf, and bowed with his arms outstretched and his hands strenuously bent at the wrist, an inspired imitation of the sort of man for whom court has become career. He also looked remarkably like a heron standing in a marsh, and Roland snorted laughter in spite of himself. Then he touched the inside of his left wrist to his forehead to see if he had fever. He felt feverish enough inside his head, gods knew, but the skin above his eyes felt cool. I cry your pardon, gunslinger, Cuthbert said, his eyes and hands still turned humbly down. The smile on Roland's face died. And don't call me that again, Cuthbert, please. Not here, not anywhere, not if you value me. Cuthbert dropped his pose at once and came quickly to where Roland sat his horse. He looked honestly humbled. Roland, Will, I'm sorry. Roland clapped him on the shoulder. No harm done, just remember from here on out. Magus may be at the end of the world, but it still is the world. Where's Elaine? Dick, you mean? <laughs> where do you think? Cuthbert pointed across the clearing to where a dork, dork, dork. Uh, dark hulk. I don't think hulk's actually in here, but uh, where a dark hulk was either snoring or slowly choking to death. Yeah, that one, Cuthbert said, it would sleep through an earthquake. But you heard me coming and woke. Yes, Cuthbert said. His eyes were on Roland's face, searching it with intensity that made Roland feel a little uneasy. Did something happen to you? You look. Different. Do I? Yes. Excited? Aired out somehow? Hmm. If he was going to tell Cuthbert about Susan now, was the time. He decided, without really thinking about it, most of his decisions, certainly the best of them, were made in the same way. Not to tell. If he met her at the mayor's house, it would be the first time. As for... As far as Cuthbert and Alain knew as well. What harm in that? So one thing we did forget to know, or kind of skipped over, is the fact that now Cuthbert is also carrying a revolver. So when we, for, when the last story we ever got of them, Roland was the first, like the only one to earn his guns. Like he was the only one to have gun, a gun. And now that they've been sent out on this mission, Cuthbert also has a revolver. Yeah, I think they have guns. It's just Roland's the only one who's got his proper gunslingers, adult, full, nice guns that a proper gunslinger should have. Well, I could have swore, like, in the first one, it, they pretty much, at that age, weren't supposed to have any guns. Like, the guns were supposed to be just... Well, I mean, I don't know. But like I said, they just send them out. I just yeah. They have guns, but they don't have, like, yeah. gunslinger guns. It just says, uh... <laughs> It says, in one hand he held an enormous antique revolver, a kind which was sometimes called a beer barrel because of the cylinder size. specifically talk about What are you doing? Moving a lot. That's what Lay down. Let us tell you a story. <laughs> of an ancient time in an ancient world. Or a future time in a future world. I'm not sure which. So yeah, he pretty much decides not to tell him about Susan, and is like, I'm gonna go to sleep. 
Good sleep, sleep. And we find out they have pigeons. They have three pigeons. I think I get messaged around somehow. They got the local computer with the emails and stuff. You sure? I could have swore it. All the talk of computers. Mm -hmm. uh, under the city. Under, under the, the city. city. Yeah, yeah. Those dipolar computers. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Cuthbert wants to kind of know what's happening, what's going on. But he's like, ah, we're going to wait. Yeah. Wait till Lane wakes up. Well, I'll tell in the morning. Yeah, he pretty much just says that... It, yeah, I missed that part. It says, I'll wait until tomorrow, I think, when you hi when yon hibernating bear is finally awake. Mm -hmm. Then I only have to tell once. Besides, I'm tired. I'll share you one thing, though. There are too many horses in these parts, even for a barony renowned for its horse flesh. Too many by far. Yep. They may, have, uh, may have uh, stumbled upon something they didn't mean to stumble upon. Hmm. Twenty minutes later. Rusher unloaded and rub. Yeah, twenty minutes later, Rusher unloaded and rubbed down and set to forge with buckskin and glue boy. Cuthbert couldn't even name his horse as a normal person would. Glue boy, I love oh that. Oh my goodness. Glue boy, Roland lay on his back in his bedroll, looking up at the late stars overhead. Cuthbert had gone back to sleep as easily as he had awakened at the sound of Rusher's hoofs. But Roland had never felt less sleepy in his life. Uh, glue Boy. Gotta name something <laughs> Glue Boy now. Our mascot. Get over here, Glue Boy! So yes, he is thinking back to what happened between his father and his mother. And Martin. Is it Martin? Yeah, Martin. Okay. I had to make sure because there's like five different names for him and I don't know these things anymore. You know what? King wasn't even really that sure, okay? <laughs> But, so, um, there's a lot of stuff about the barony and the, the affiliation and lots of stuff. Pretty persuasive politics. That yeah, sums um, up that entire paragraph. Yeah, a lot of politics are happening. <laughs> a lot of politics. Um, it was a game of castles where both armies had come out from behind their hillocks and the final moves had commenced. Roland's father had said, and as was so often the case with popular revolutions, that game was apt to be over before many in the baronies of Midworld had begun to realize that John Farson was a serious threat. Or if you were one of those who believed passionately in his vision of democracy and an end to what he called class slavery in ancient fairy tales, a serious agent of change. His father and his father's small quartet of gunslingers, Roland was amazed to learn, cared little about Farson in either light. They looked upon him as small cheese, looked upon the affiliation itself as small cheese. Come to that. I'm going to send you away, Stephen had said, sitting there on the bed and looking somberly at his only son, the only one who had lived, or the one who had lived. The only wow. one. He's lost so many. There is no true safe place left in Midworld. But the barony of Magis on the Clean Sea is as close to true safety. Oh, oh sorry. motherfucker! Sorry. I was trying. I was trying my best, and my hands, my foot slipped, and I kicked you. Yep. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't read it right. I'm yeah, right you messed it up. You messed the word somewhere. As any place may be these days, so it's there you'll go, along with at least two of your mates, <coughs> Elaine, I suppose, for one. Just not that laughing boy for the other, I beg of you. You'd be better off with a barking, barking dog. dog. 
Hmm. You don't want him to go with Cuthbert? But that's his best friend! Roland, who had on any other day in his life would have been overjoyed at the prospect of seeing some of the wider world, had protested hotly. If the final battles against the good man were at hand, he wanted to fight them at his father's side. He was a gunslinger now. After all, if only apprentice, and... His father had shaken his head, slowly and emphatically. No, Roland, you don't understand. You shall, however, as well as possible, you shall. And then their talk, he's like, The Dark Tower had not been mentioned by either of them, but already it hung in Roland's mind. A possibility like a storm cloud far away on the horizon. Was it was the tower what all this was really about? Not a jumped up harrier with dreams of ruling Midworld, not the wizard who had enchanted his mother, not the glass ball which Stephen and his posse had hoped to find in Crescia. Crescia, sure. But the dark tower. He hadn't asked. He hadn't dared ask. It's just, do they ever really mention what got Roland on his quest for the Dark Tower? I don't know. Like... Because, yeah, they talk about it here, but why is Roland even thinking of the Dark Tower? Why is that a thing? I mean, as far as I kind of thought, it's been more of almost a legend that it even exists. Yeah, that's so what I why? thought, too. I don't... It's like, I don't really know if they ever went over what got him started, like, why he started asking questions about it, why did he ask where the location was, and then, overall, why did he decide... Why did he spend his entire life working towards the tower? Why was he chasing the man in black? Why did he have to know? I have no idea. It's questions that I don't actually think we ever get answers to. Not unless they're explained in some kind of graphic novel. Which is maybe. Or the guidebook. But I'm see, I'm worried about reading the companion that goes with these book, like the the series, because if I plan on reading the graphic novels at any point in time, I don't want stuff to get ruined. <laughs> it's like a giant book of spoilers for everything. <laughs> but the next thing he starts his. Thoughts and stuff drift over, and he starts thinking about Susan and how of course he, does. he had his first kiss, pretty much. Because though he slept with the whore that he had that night when he got his guns, he was not allowed to kiss her. She would not let him kiss. So he could do anything, just no kissing. So he pretty much had his first kiss with Susan, and he just became infatuated just with that one thing. Be careful, Roland. Don't let your feelings for this girl tip anything over. She's not free, anyway. She said as much. Not married, but spoken for in some other way. Roland was far from the relentless creature he would eventually become. I love how they say creature. Not man, <laughs> creature. Okay. But the seeds of that relentlessness were there. Small, stony things that would, in their time, grow into trees with deep roots and bitter fruit. Now one of these seeds cracked open and sent up its first sharp blade. What's been spoken for may be unspoken, and what's done may be undone. Nothing sure, but I want her. Do you roll it? <laughs> he wanted her. He wanted the girl shooting. So he continued to think about her until he fell asleep. And now we move over to Susan. 
Yeah, move over to Susan. And I'll just remind you now, before you start reading anything, to maybe read ahead a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Sometimes you just have to stop in dead sentence. You're like, alright, we're not continuing. But because, yeah, a few things are mentioned in here. You know, we, we don't turn this to uh, some pornographic talk. That's all I'm saying. You mean you don't want to read the, a romance novel for our next one? Yeah. Are you sure? There's a lot of that in here. I'm sure we could pull like Fifty Shades of Grey out or something. I, I don't know. I've never read the books. I've never seen the movies. Don't I have I seen the ever. first one. Really? Yep. Yeah. It wasn't good. Huh? But I have seen it, so. No. no. Never, never planned on it. <laughs> Neither did I, but it happened to me. <laughs> Uh, when she got home, Aunt... Okay, so she, yeah, she's laying there just thinking. When she got home, Aunt Cord, who would have been in her own bed an hour before on any ordinary night, had been sitting in her rocking chair by the fireplace, dead and cold and swept clean of ashes. See, if you read that wrong, it just sounds like she just, whoa, got home to a corpse, but... <laughs> she must well be. Dead and cold and swept clean of ashes at this time of year with a lap full of lace that looked like wave froth against her dowdy black dress. She was edging it with a speed that seemed almost supernatural to Susan, and she hadn't looked up when the door opened and her niece came in on a swirl of a breeze. I expected ye an hour ago, Aunt Cord said, and then, although she didn't sound it, I was worried. I, Susan said, and said no more. She thought that on any other night she would have offered one of her fumbling excuses, which always sounded like a lie to her own ears. It was the effect Aunt Cord had on her all her life, but this hadn't been any ordinary light, ordinary night. Never in her life had there been a night like this. She found she could not get Will Dearborn out of her mind. What took ye so long? Aunt Cord asked. Was there trouble? No trouble. And that's really all she gave you, but that's it. No further explanation. Yeah. Well, and then it's pretty much, there was no, she's, she says no trouble out, out loud, and then immediately thinks of how Ray was sitting there brushing her hair and asked her to do one more thing, and now she can't remember what that one more thing was. And then quickly goes on to say it's that yeah. important. And then goes, I walked slowly coming home, aunt. That's all. Then why, then why look ye so? Aunt Cornet asked, scant browed, knitting towards the vertical line which creased her brow. How so? Susan had asked, taking off her apron and knotting the strings and hanging around the hook just inside the kitchen door. Flushy, frothy, like milk fresh out of a cow. How can someone look like that? I don't even know. She almost laughed. Aunt Cord, who knew as little about men as Susan did about the stars and the planets, had struck it directly. Flushy and frothy was exactly how she felt. Only the night air, I suppose, she had said. I saw a meteor, Aunt, and heard the thinny, the second strong, the sounds strong tonight. I, her aunt, asked without interest, then returned to the subject, which did interest her. Did it hurt? A little. Did ye cry? Susan shook her head. Good. Better not. Always better. She likes it when they cry, I've heard. Now, Suze, did you give... Now, Suze, did she give you something? Did the old woman give you something? 
I. She reached into her pocket and brought out the paper with honest. Oh, horribly written. Yeah. Well, she, she's a witch. Doesn't mean she has not to write very well. She held it out, and her aunt snatched away with a greedy look. Cordelia had been quite the sugar plum over the last month or so, but now that she'd had what she wanted, and now that Susan had come too far and promised too much to have a change of heart, she'd reverted to the sour... Super... Supercilious? That's a fancy word, yeah. Often sure. suspicious woman Susan had grown up with. The one who'd been driven into almost weekly bouts of rage, by her phlegmatic, life-goes-as-twill brother. What the fuck does that mean? In a way, it was a relief. It had been nerve-wracking to have Aunt Cord playing Sibylla Good Sprite day after day. Aye, aye, there's her mark, all right, her aunt said, tracing her fingers over the bottom of the sheet. A devil's hoof, what it means, some say. But what do we care, eh, Suze? Nasty, horrid creature that she is. She still made it possible for two women to get on in the world a little longer, and you only have to see her once more, probably around year's end, when you've caught proper. It will be later than that, Susan had told her. I'm not to lie with him until the full of the demon moon, after the reaping fair and the bonfire. Aunt Cord had stared, eyes wide, mouth open. Said she so. Are you calling me a liar, Auntie? She had thought with a sharpness that wasn't much like her. Usually, her nature was more like her father's. Aye, but why? Why so long? Aunt Cord was obviously upset, obviously disappointed. So yeah, pretty much if you're told, hey, you're going to get money for having this baby, and now suddenly, oh, by the way, you can't have this baby until, you know, a month, couple months, whatever, yeah. so can later. You start to try to have this baby yeah. for a few months. Then um, you're not getting paid yet. Nope. So... She seemed very, very upset. Uh, why so long, she repeated. I suppose you could go up to the coos and ask her. Yeah. Cordelia Delgado's lips, thin to begin with, had pressed together so tightly they almost disappeared. Are you pert, Missy? Are you pert with me? No, I'm much too tired to be pert with anyone. I want to wash. I can still feel her hands on me, so I can. And go to bed. Then do, do so. Perhaps in the morning we can discuss this in a more ladylike fashion. And we must go and see Hart, of course. She folded the paper Ray had given Susan, looking pleased at the prospect of visiting Hart's thorn, and moved her hand toward her po dress pocket. No! <laughs> Susan said, and her voice had been unusually sharp. Enough so to freeze her aunt's hand in midair. Cordelia had looked at her, frankly startled. Susan had felt a little embarrassed by that look, but she hadn't dropped her eyes, and when she held out her own hand, it had been steady enough. I'm to have the keeping of that aunt. Who tells ye to speak so? Aunt Cord had asked her, her voice almost whining with outrage. It was close to blasphemy, Susan supposed, but for a moment Aunt Cord's boast had reminded her of the sound the thinny made. Who tells ye to speak so to the woman who raised a motherless girl, to the sister of that girl's poor dead father? You know who, Susan said. She still held her hand out. I'm to keep it, and I'm to give it to Mayor Thorne. She said she didn't care what happened to it then. He could wipe his bum with it for all of her. The flush which suffused her aunt's face that had been very enjoyable. 
But until then, it was to be in my keeping. I never heard of such a thing, Aunt Cordelia had huffed, but she handed the grimy scrap of paper back, giving the keep of such an important document to a mere scrap of a girl. Woman? God, I hate this woman. I hate her so much. God. <sighs> Go up, Aunt Cord had said, brushing the froth of lace off her lap and into her work basket where it lay in an unaccustomed tangle. And when you wash, do your mouth with a special care. Cleanse it of its impudence and disrespect towards those who have given up much love for its owner. Hmm. I've never asked a girl to write out with me, uh, or if she would accept a visit of me. I would ask you, Susan, daughter of Patrick, why now? Uh, daughter of Patrick, why now? Why should I meet him now, when no good can come from it? Yeah, no good can't come from us. But hey, it's happening anyway. If it's caw, it'll come like a wind, like a cyclone. It's something all right. Mm. Ah. So she's having a hard time getting sleep. Yeah, to which she starts just dreaming of him, thinking of him, and then realizes that, hey, you know, Ray was right. Maybe there is a way to, you know, relieve your tension without a man. And then... Has a nice little alone time with herself and goes to sleep. Yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's the gist of it. Up. In the last hours before dawn, the public room of the Traveler's Rest was as quiet as it had ever become. The gaslights which had turned the chandelier into a brilliant jewel until two o'clock or so in the night were now turned down in guttering blue points. And the long high room was shadowy and spectral. So we're at a bar. Yeah, we're at a bar. Well, a bar, an inn. Tavern, a... Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. A tavern it. with most likely sleeping quarters up top for people who are too drunk or people who need to get frisky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is, this is a brothel. Yeah. Uh, uh. Oh. And this is kind of where I lost interest in this chapter. Yeah. Like a lot. Um... I did like the thing they had on the wall. It says, Above them on the wall was a picture of Arthur, the great king of Eld, astride his white stallion, and a sign which read, in a curious mixture of high and low speech, Argue you not about the hand you are dealt in cards or life. Except argue is spelled really freaking weird. A-R-G-Y-O-U. Literally, argue. I mean, everything we see in these, there's so much weird slang in here. There's a two-headed elk head just kind of up on the wall that they call the romp. And there's a dude in the corner playing... Well, first there's a coral. See, when I first read this, I kept getting so damn confused because you have cord and then you have coral. And I was like... Just coral! Coral! It was just bad. Like... I'd be reading something and I'm like, wait, wait, which one is this? Is this Shady Aunt or is this Shady Sister? Like, what are we doing? A small table stood by itself near the batwing doors which gave upon the Hanbury High Street. It was here that Coral Thornton, owner of the Traveler's Rest and the Mayor's sister, sat on the night when she descended from her suite. So yes, Coral 
owns the Traveler Rest, and she is the mayor's sister. Yeah. Which she will play a part in this book as well. So she happens to like this place. She just kind of, it's her own little thing, and it just so happens that the three, the coffin hunters, Big coffin hunters. Don't, don't, don't oh, I'm sorry. The, the little coffin hunters. The little coffin big, big. Okay, the the big boys. Hunters. No, no, not. Big strong boys. Yeah. Yes, with his wavy white man hair. Yep. But um. So yeah, so she's just kind of. I don't know. Yeah, she enjoyed the money the place brought in. They just didn't enjoy the look of it after midnight. Game of Patience was laid out before him, black on red, red on black. The particular formed square of court above all, just as it was in the affairs of men. So, pretty much he's playing solitaire. Yes, it's a game. He, he's, well, black on red, red on black, yeah, he's playing solitaire. I have played solitaire myself. Like the game I, Patience, come on, Patience, Solitaire, and then of course, Square of Court. That is a weird name. I would assume that maybe it's an ace, because... When you do solitaire, the aces are up at the top. But, um. You're reading a lot into this. What? What? You're reading a lot into this one sentence about this card game. Yeah, in his left hand, the player held the remains of the deck. As he flipped the cards up one by one, the tattoo on his right hand had moved it. Okay. Yes, it's... It's he's playing solitaire, okay? Okay, oh, I, okay. That concerns me none. It concerned me a Apparently. lot. Jonas uh, and his dead eyes. Eldred Jonas, which I could not figure out how to say his name earlier to save my life. Like, he's he's a Jonas, Jonas brother. Okay, he's a Jonas brother. Yeah. Eldred Jonas's face. Idris. Idris Jones. It's hard. Okay, life's hard. <gasps> uh, so yeah, he's pretty much just chilling out, waiting for people to wake up. and. Reynolds comes from the upstairs room. Apparently Reynolds has curly red hair hanging about to his ears. And apparently also, he's, he's a mighty fine-looking fella. Yeah, he's very vain. Well, I think and he has every reason to be, according to, to uh, Idris's... Uh, Idris. I can't help it. Jonas. Eldritch. Jonas. Let's yeah. look at Jonas's uh, jo description of him. Oh, yeah. Apparently he knows his ways around the ladies and has gotten more ladies than Jonas ever had in his life. Yeah. And Jonas is older. So. A lot older. They greet each other and offer, or Jonas offers him a cigarette. Uh, 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 Reynolds pulled out a chair, turned it around, and sat with his forearms crossed on its back. When Jonas handed him a cigarette, Reynolds danced it between the backs of his fingers, an old gunslinger trick. Hmm. The big coffin hunters were full of old gunslinger tricks. Where have we seen that trick like, before? I've never seen dancing something about along the back of the knuckles. Cigarettes are a really weird thing. Like I'm trying to picture it, and it's not. I mean, according if it's, I mean, if it's a little one. I guess um, you kind of like a coin. I, I guess I don't know. I need to know these things. Well, apparently, it's the only interesting thing we got here. Um, mine's not until the next page. Yeah, think. mine's the next page. Yeah. So pretty much there's just talking about, you know, where's their other dude, De Pape or De Pappy or however the hell you need to say his name. Um, and apparently this dude is hooked on a 15-year-old and 
Roland, Rand, Rand, Roland's, Reynolds is a little worried, and Jonas is like, don't worry, he's not going to give us up just because he's, you know, infatuated with this chick. Um, apparently a dog, a dog comes in, that's about it. What did I say? Oh, yeah. Not at all, not all, Jonas, uh, demurred, just a dog is all he is, a... I heard a horse 20 minutes ago. First on the come, then on the go. Would it have been one of the hired watchmen? You don't miss a trick, do you? Don't pay to, no, don't pay a bit, was it? Yet fellows who work for me, one of the small freeholders out along the east of the drop, he's seen him come in. Three young babies. Is it baby? A uh, babies. Babies. He pronounces it babies. babies. So he's got that. So he sounds like he's got the whole like Jersey. Uh... <laughs> Three young babies. Reynolds pronounced this last as they did in the northern baronies. Babies. Mm -hmm. Nothing to worry of. Now, now, we don't know that. Jonas said, his quivering voice marking him. Nope, making him sound like a Tim. Temporizing, old man? Temporizing? It's yeah. a weird word. Young guys see far, they say. Young guys see where they're pointed at, Reynolds replied. The dog trotted past him, licking its chunks. Reynolds helped it. Uh, Pretty much just kicked it. That's what he does. Maybe so, maybe not, Jonas said. In any case, they're affiliation brats. Sons of big estates off in the green somewhere. If Reimer and that fool he works with works for have it straight, that means we'll be very, very careful. Walk easy, like on eggshells. Why, we've got three more months here at least, and those youngins may be here that whole time, counting this and counting that and putting it all down on paper. Folks counting things ain't good for us right now, not for men in the resupply business. Come on, it's make work, that's all, a slap on the wrist for getting in trouble. Their daddies, their daddies know Farson is in charge of the whole southwest edge now and sitting on high ground. The brats may know the same. That playtime's pert near over for the affiliation and all its pukes and royalty. Can't know, Clay. With folks these days, you can't know which way they'll jump. At the very least, they may try to do half a decent job just to try and get on the good side of their parents again. We'll know better when we see them, but I tell you one thing. We can't just put guns to the backs of their heads and drop them like broke like hosses if they see the wrong thing. Their daddies might be mad, mad at them alive, but I think they'd be very tender of them dead. That's just the way daddies are. We'll want to be trig, Clay, as trig as we can be. Better leave the pape out of it, then. Roy will be fine, Jonas said in his quavery voice. He dropped the stub of his cigarette to the floor and crushed it under his boot heel. He looked up at the romp's glassy eyes and squinted as if calculating. Tonight, your friend said. They arrive tonight, these brats? Yep. They'll be seen to a they'll be in to see Avery tomorrow then, I reckon. This was Herc Avery, High Sheriff of Magus and Chief Constable of Hambry. Blah 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 blah. Um reckon so, Clay. <laughs> yeah. Well yeah, there's a kind of an important thing yeah. that I was gonna go bring ahead. up about this particular uh, this next line. Oh, so okay. I didn't know if you were gonna read what you're reading was happening. How the dog was daughter to do what you had to reckon, reckon so, Clay Reynolds said. To present their papers and all. Yes, sir, and yes, yes, sir, yes, indeedy. How'd you do, and how'd you do, and how'd you do again? 
Reynolds said nothing. He often didn't understand Jonas, but he had been riding with him since the age of fifteen and knew it was usually better not to ask for enlightenment. If you did, you were apt to end up listening to a cult Manning lecture about the other worlds the old buzzer had visited through what he called the special doors. As far as Reynolds was concerned, there were enough ordinary doors in the world to keep him busy. Huh. Huh. <laughs> That's huh. special doors, huh? You've been through some special doors. That's real interesting, Jonas. Where'd you find said doors? What did you do with these doors that you found? Hmm. Very, very interesting. So then they move on to talk about the oil rigs and trying to move trucks. Yeah. I don't have anything on this yeah. page. Um, oh, yes. And then they find out that uh, Jonas plans on going to the party and he's going to have a grand old time. And Reynolds like, you're not bringing us, are you? And he's like, I'll make excuses for you. It's going to be fine. Yeah, they go hide whatever it's, it is out there. Yeah, you're going to go be out there in the dirt digging and hiding this stuff. And I'm going to be at this fancy party. I'm going to drink. I'm going to eat. I'm going to mingle with people. I'm going to find myself a lady. And he was like, wait, so you have one in mind? Um, Yar, Cordelia Delgado is her name. Delgado? You know the name. It's on the lips of everyone in this town, I reckon. Susan Delgado, our esteemed mayor soon-to-be Gilly. Cordelia's her auntie. Now here's a fact of human nature I found. Folk are more apt to talk to someone like her, who plays them close, than they are to the local jolly types who'll buy you a drink. And that lady plays them close. I'm going to slip in next to her at dinner, and I'm going to compliment her on the perfume I doubt... I doubt like hell she'll be wearing, and I'm going to keep her wine glass full. Now, how does that sound for a plan? Plan for what? That's what I want to know. For the game of castles, we may have to play, Jonas said, and all the lightness dropped out of his voice. We're to believe that these boys have been sent here more as punishment than to do any real job of work. It sounds plausible, too. I've known rakes in my time, and it sounds plausible indeed. I believe it every day until about three in the morning, and then a little doubt sets in. And you know what, Clay? Rail shook his head. I'm right to doubt. Just as I was right to go with Rymer to the old man Thorn and convince him that Farson's glass would be better with the witch woman for the nymphs? 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 She'll keep it in a place where a gunslinger couldn't find it, let alone a nosy lad who's yet to have his first piece of earth. 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 These are strange times. A storm's a-coming, Mr. Wayne. <laughs> and when you Stick know the script. wind... Stick to your script. ...is going to blow, it's best to keep your gear battered down. Storm's a-coming, Mr. Wayne. Yeah, it doesn't really believe... It's interesting that he, he, he understands kind of already what they're here for, what they're going to do, the excuses they're going to use. He's overly aware of what's kind of going on oh, yeah. just off the premise of them being there. I don't want to kill them. Things are delicate enough without that. I'll smell quite a little wrong on them and not lift a finger. No, not a single finger of my hand. But I'd like to make them clear on their place in the great scheme of things. Give them a sore paw. Jonas brightened. 
Yes, sir, partner. Maybe a sore paw is just what I'd like to give them. Maybe that maybe them make them think twice about tangling with the big coffin hunters later on when it matters. Make them swing wide around us when they see us in the road. Yes, sir. That's something to think about. It really is. I don't quite understand who they're dealing with. <laughs> so then he goes up to go to sleep, and Reynolds just takes his place at the game. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's been, literally that page is nothing. It is nothing. Uh, little here. <laughs> there is one little thing that was also interesting. Oh yeah, right there. So it's a little important yeah. in my opinion. I skip. I forgot it. Yeah. He's starting up the stairs, chuckling a little. His limp quite quite pronounced. It got worse late at night. It was a limp Roland's old teacher Court might have recognized, for Court had seen the blow which caused it. Court's own father had dealt it with an ironwood club, breaking Eldred Jones's leg in the yard behind the great hall of Gilead, before taking the boy's weapon and sending him west, gunless into exile. But boys who look for guns found them. Yep. Then the rest isn't very important. Yeah. But that clearly yeah. says he was trained as a gunslinger and failed the test. And is one of the many gunslingers that have been sent west. Dun, dun, so, dun. Jonas, not someone to be messed with either. No. He is, he, if we thought Court was bad, I could only imagine what his father was. <laughs> his, I mean, his... He he was pretty much going to, you know, beat the living daylights out of Roland, like Court was. But to flat out break someone's leg and be well, like... it's a no. battle to the end. I mean, that's yeah, but still. <sighs> yeah, Jonas is not a guy to be messed with. Neither is Roland, but yeah. neither is Jonas. Well, neither is Roland, but Roland also doesn't have the years on him. No, he he's, has not, he's not the way he is now. He's, he's, he's not there he's yet. He's nothing but a babby. A babby. A babby. A babby. Uh, well, that's the end of chapter four. Next time we'll be moving on to chapter five. Welcome to town. And that'll be a longer chapter. It's going to be a longer chapter. It's going to be probably an hour and a half to two hours of a read there. We'll see. I guess we can shorten that though. Moving, we'll be going to chapter six called Shimmy. Shimmy, shimmy. Shimmy, shimmy, shimmy. Shimmy, shimmy, bang, bang. Uh, so, you know, if you like us, you'll like shimmy. Oh. I really like Shimi. I do too. Another reoccurring character. Yeah. Good old Shimi. Whew! So, nice little chapter there. Was, a whole lot, but a couple interesting, fun details. It was, it's like, it had, it had information we needed for the story, but overall the chapter was like, eh. Yeah, okay. It was fine. Just said it could have been summarized in five minutes. <laughs> it could have, but we drug it out for 45 minutes, so. It is what it is. Alright, if you liked uh, what you watched here today, we hope you did. Uh, we did, we personally liked it. Uh, throw a comment down below, let us think you're the book. Let know what's going on, how it happened. Just comment stuff. Uh, say hello. You can even comment, hello. Let's say hello back. I mean, I might. She won't. I might. She won't. If I, I don't get alerts on my phone whether YouTube, you know. She won't. You hog YouTube to yourself, she won't. thank you. That's all I'm saying, she won't. Uh, throw a like on the video, <laughs> subscribe to the channel, because that would definitely be appreciated. Uh, but, as always, you can reach me at Stars Untraveled. Reach Amanda at KZ Pup. Reach the show Beyond Our Focus practically anywhere, including YouTube and podcast services around. Sleep.
Maybe. Maybe not mid-world. You never know. Come on. Maybe. Any final thoughts? No. Yeah. Okay. Till next time. Long days. <laughs> Pleasant.